I'm still got stuff to move. I'm going down uh, tomorrow to clean up the apartment and bring up our vacuum and my bike that I took from the U-Haul store and stuff like that. Say goodbye to all the old neighbors and friends, lifelong friends that you made. Yeah, didn't make any of those there. That oh. That's one thing that is nice about here. Like, it actually feels like a neighborhood, like a community kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, what's funny is like, on the other side of the grocery store is a pretty busy street for LA, or at least this part of LA. And it is an area where I've always, we always drive past these areas where I'm like, man, it must be insane to live around here. Cause like, you know, this is like a street where people will do street racing on. And it's like, you know, there's just crazy stuff happening all the time. Cops pulling people over, like, uh, people getting in fights and all that kind of stuff. And so I've always thought like, it must be real. It must feel like not great to live in a neighborhood adjoining one of those. Yeah. And I didn't realize that we had joined that street until we moved in here. And then I was like, oh, this is like somehow completely a separate like <laughs> part of this area. I don't know. It's it's a defined borderline. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> like really weird. You cross you, you cross this threshold, it all changes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very strange. But there's like tons of kit there's an elementary school right next to the um fire department then a middle school right down the street from that and so there's just like parents with young kids walking them to school every day and like there's people out all the time as i've told you like that you know senior zone (laughs) yeah 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 like you know it's like there's older people walking at like all hours of the day like i'll see older people out at like 11 just going for a walk and I don't think that really happens in a place that people wouldn't feel safe in, you know? No, and there's also there's also like the uh the narrative of things that aren't safe, which preys on everyone's like Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Primal knowledge or primal feelings of like, oh man, you know, it's better to always run away from every rustle in the bushes. That's the way I don't die. <laughs> so but then yeah. the, the also the understand it's kind of like the deep ellum thing you know like yeah yeah if everyone goes out and there's a whole lot of people out there and people are all walking around and for the most part it's all going fine um that has a big strength to keeping the area safe as well like the sooner that you make a place um seem like ooh, we shouldn't access that area anymore because it's not safe and then people stop going there that's when it becomes more of a uh void that gets filled by crime (laughs) the the, if you have to keep the thing stuff going like stuff has to continue going on and that you might have a couple bumpy patches where some bad actors and bad things happen but the prevalence of the socialization and everybody getting out and being out with each other and all of that thing promotes a lot more safety than it does promote violence (laughs) yeah i mean it's one of those things too it's like what are you gonna do look up stats on crime statistics in la that just means wherever the police have designated they're going to be arresting people um so yeah it's it's you know Go to 
Beverly Hills, and uh, I guarantee you, there's a lot of crime going on there. Uh, oh just yeah, not and being... it and it all depends on like what the narrative of the political cycle of the city is too, because you know, exactly. Eric Johnson's running uh, four years ago or three years ago for mayor of Dallas, and crime is terrible, and the police are telling me how terrible crime is now. Now he's been mayor, and it's getting time to you know run again. And now all of a sudden, man, all these policies that I've done have just made crime just disappear. Like, even though a couple months ago we were talking about how terrible, like, deep ellum shootings and murders and everything was. Well, guess what? All done. We fixed it. <laughs> now that's getting close to everyone deciding if I should stay in this job. It's pretty remarkable how the whole narrative changed really fast. <laughs> I mean, it really, it just goes to show you how connected the entire system of uh, policing and politics goes hand in hand because the police are only going to, you know, stop, like reduce their c crime rates, um, to help a mayor who is going to let them do whatever they want. Right. Who's going to always be them. on board with every single overtime, uh, budget increase every single time. Well, it's just another year. We got to increase the budget by 20%. I mean, that's just what we do, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> it would be weird if we didn't. And if and then if you don't increase it like Houston did, where they were like, well, instead of increasing it by this percentage, we're just going to increase it by a little bit less percentage. Then everyone's like, fucking Houston just defunded their whole police department. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then the police can can do that to just change the mayor to. Yeah. You know, that's that's exactly why if, you, if you don't have the union abolished. support. Yeah. I mean, that was the that was kind of the big thing, too, with the whole Griggs versus Johnson mayor race. Like Griggs was making a lot of appeals with the police, which was kind of uh, that was a point of conflict for me in supporting his campaign. But I know that the only way you can become mayor is of like you have the police union on your side type of thing. Yep. And like it obviously still didn't matter because they knew that Griggs out from his time on the council was not going to be on their side with all the finances and budget when it came down to it. So <laughs> whenever I look at this stuff, I'm just like, should I get into politics so I can just lie to the police until I get in office? <laughs> <laughs> You know, well, that that's the, that's so the thing is like, that's the tough part is like, if you get into politics early, you know, when you're younger, like you're a firebrand, you're an idealist. So that's when you're going to like probably burn the most bridges for whatever political capital that you might need later on to get a higher seat. So you mm -hmm. have to be really cunning, like in your 30s to be like, you know what? I'm going to pretend to be this real moderate <laughs> for a while, like maybe till I'm 48, 49 years old. Then I'm going to make my move continuing to pretend to be a moderate <laughs> to get more power. And then eventually I'll amass enough power to where I can continue to be a moderate. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's <clears throat> how many politicians do you think that happens to? And then they, uh, happened to make a trip to little St. James and now they're right, right, right. You're like, fuck. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was, I was trying to change things from the inside and then they got enough compromise on me that now, now I can't do it anymore. <laughs> Is that Chris Tucker? What's never ending to find the beginning that came before everything like kids with Dakota.
Fun times in LA. Sorry about your Dodgers. Sorry about that. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I got no idea what you're talking about. I mean, the, <laughs> you know, the best regular season team, and they just couldn't put it together in that five game series. Uh, that's the way the playoffs go. I know. I know. I thought playoffs were like seven game series. Well, usually. that that's when you get to the uh, the uh, the the pennant. And then the World Series, those are both seven-game series, but the divisional round is a five-game series, and now the new wild-card round that they added is just a three-game series. Okay. <clears throat> what happened to one-game series? Uh, they they got rid of that. They got, okay, like, that where they were doing the one-game play-in for the wild extra wild-card team. Instead, they added another wild-card team, gave uh, the top seed a buy and then uh had the wild card teams play each other in three game series instead of one. So it's kind of like the so, college world series like that. But it's not round robin. Okay. And they made it they they linked in the playoffs because baseball is too quick of a game that they you blink and you miss it. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. No, it's okay. uh it's baseball's just the game where if you reduce it to uh to a five-game series, even a team who's won over a hundred games in the regular season can have three bad nights. Like that's that's the thing when you when you take a hundred sixty-two game season and condense it to five games to see who's the best. Lots of shit can happen. Maybe they should just play another hundred sixty-two. That's games what I was. That's see. what I was going to say. They should play a hundred okay. sixty-two game series between the top team, top two teams, and see who comes out. And if they finish eighty-one and eighty-one. You know what? Two champs that year. <laughs> you know, there's always next year, right? Yeah. Isn't that what we always say in sports, us sports heads? <laughs> and, you know, and it's like the <laughs> team's on the verge of getting sweeped. They've lost the first 80 games <laughs> in the series. No one's ever come back from an 80 to nothing deficit in this 162 <laughs> game series before. Oh, man. <laughs> This could be the year. This could be the year. Uh, yeah, so sorry about that. Uh, uh, but, hey, your Padres. Your, your Padres are still in it. They're still doing good. No, I, I know that that's San Diego, so we're not going to enjoy any Padres success. Uh, but I, but I, am, I am sorry about your football teams. It's been, um, t- been a tough, tough sled. After I mean, you got the Super Bowl last year though, so you can still ride high. The Raiders, they they play in uh, Las Vegas, sir. Okay, they used to be L.A., right? Right, right. A long time and ago, and then they moved up to Oakland. Yeah, yeah. A lot of Ra- Raiders hats around here. Um, well, that's too bad. They have the Rams and the Chargers. Is that? An yeah. LA team now? Both, okay, that used to be a San Diego team. Chargers right? or San Diego. Rams were St. Louis. Right. Uh huh. Then they came um, back to LA. Right, because Adrian Peterson played for them. 
Did he ever play for what the Rams? That? I don't think he it, played it, for the Vi- No, the, yeah. I'm thinking of horns you're, you're on thinking helmets. You're thinking of Marshall Falk. <laughs> oh well, yeah. I mean, they both got horns on their helmets. That is true. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Two horn mascots. That you got it. <laughs> what a what are the big California to this, news? Who thinks that my life seems empty? No, it is very full. Very full with other things. Got big big California news. Oh yeah, but Blink One Eighty Two got back together. Uh, sorry, oh, that's San Diego. That's more San Diego news, though. So I don't know if you know oh, okay. you heard about it. I, I did hear about it. Um, yeah, very excited for it. Uh, I well, do. I mean, it you, was funny you're excited, for, was, you're excited for Travis because he's a fellow SoCal guy, just like you. Right. Yes. Uh, I mean, I did when I was in high school. I was like, you know, I'm going to get a tattoo uh, in the same vein as his Cadillac rib tattoo. Yes. Except mine will say Tim Shell. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <from> east of Eden. <laughs> <Stupid>. <laughs> I mean, would look pretty cool. It would. Um, but uh, yeah, then uh, became an atheist, so it didn't really feel like that fit. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's great news. Very excited. Beanies are excited. Yeah, there you go. Beanies are back, baby. (laughs) But not beanie babies. No. Um, so what is the schism between them? Why did they get upset? Was it because Tom was so into aliens? Uh, no. I mean, I, he was really dedicated to that project um and i'm sure that that was like a point of contention maybe with the time constraints with the band but i from what i've read and hearing them talked in their reconciliation interviews and stuff it was way more just like bullshit like they had people they started listening to the wrong people uh it when they got famous and people telling tom you know oh you could have your own solo thing people telling mark you could be your own solo thing and then you know uh guys you you get butt hurt at each other and then you just don't talk about it because you're like in your late 30s and you don't really know how to deal with your emotions <laughs> so you just like hold the grudge and you just stay mad and then you're like well he didn't even call me when my last kid was born and then you're like well he didn't call me when my last kid was born and now so it just like builds up type of thing it seems more like uh mark's cancer battle um really gave them a lot more perspective on the whole deal and that's why let them bury the hatchet from all their old uh whatever the competition and angst that had risen amongst the internal workings of the band and you know tom had angels and airways and other stuff too going and it's not like tom was ever like oh yeah fuck blink 182 with matt skiba like you guys are sullying the good name that we created i i never want to listen to you guys again like he was always like still supportive in the background they were never airing their dirty laundry like out in the public like uh, guns and roses or something like that or Metallica. But, you know, and I'm thinking that this would be something that maybe, and this is not to uh, say that they're not successful, but uh, actual uh, musical artists uh, would be totally comfortable with other people doing solo projects and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Is it because they were more of an act than like... No, I'm I mean, sh- I don't I'm know. Sure Pop it's- punk is such a weird... Yeah, and I, I don't know, I, I 
it might be more just because it's about the opportunity to make money. And then when one person has another avenue opportunity to make money and you're you're in a band with that person and they want to go off and do the separate field to make money, then that means that you can't capitalize on your band to make money now because they're off doing something else to make money. And so it's kind of like, uh-huh. oh, he's fucking me over. We could be on tour right now and I could be making a million dollars. But because he's doing his other project, I'm just sitting around with my thumb up my ass, not making my million dollars. Okay. Yeah. Um, and when the money gets really high, like when, the, when the money gets really high, when you get that popular MTV video popular, like... It gets, yeah. it's probably way easier to get pissed off at each other when you're like, oh, this guy just jipped me out of a $20 million bank on a tour than if it's like, oh man, this guy just jipped me out of me spending a bunch of gas money driving my van around the country to play a bunch of dive bars. <laughs> you're probably way yeah, more okay. forgiving for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's such a weird, I was, you know, uh, when you were texting us I guess a couple of weeks ago, I was like, you know, I can't even remember. Did did I like listen to them that much or what was it? And then I was like just going through like all of their songs and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yes, okay, yes. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I can imagine little Eric coming home every day after like sixth grade just to watch TRL to see the new Blink video and see if they're going to show Dong. <laughs> no, I I didn't. Uh, you know, I wasn't into Blink until high school, probably. So it was way later in their career, I would imagine. Yeah, because I guess like 2005. Yeah, because it was like 2000 when um, Enema came out. So that mm-hmm. was the big. That was the first major label release with all the music video parodying. Backstreet Boys and all that stuff. Yeah, at like sixth grade was definitely um, Lincoln Park, POD, uh, <laughs> Puddle of Mud, the heavy um, stuff. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> Lincoln Park can still rip. Like, <laughs> I mean, not anymore. Well, not anymore. No. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I was listening to like K Rock the other day, and they they put on a song, and I was like, I was like, I know the song, I know the song, and then like. It just started the, I can't remember which one it was, but it was one of the ones from their, I can't even remember which album it was. It was like their album that was like green on the front. Um, it was, uh, ooh, just show me an order, you know? Yeah. If you're going to show like me that, uh, the their first song, that Crawling in My Skin Crawling in my sin, uh-huh. crawling in my skin song. Hybrid theory, Hi- you mean? Yeah, yeah. That one I think came out my senior year of high school. They okay, were a little 2000? bit late. Yeah, yeah. They were a little bit late. But then I saw them a few times just going to like family values tours and seeing other bands. They were always like opening for them. They, they were, were, they were a really real good concert. live band. And Chester would yeah. jump off of shit. Like they would always have the drums on a ridiculously high riser, like higher than any other drum riser normally was. And Chester would get up on that thing and jump off. And it was a good eight foot drop. He would like jump as high as he could in the air and come down. So it was close to like jumping off of like the edge of your eve of your single story house type of type of height that he would go for. Man. Um, 
just trying to get that rush, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> ah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, yeah, I can't find it. Um, I guess it wasn't a green album cover. Maybe their music video was green. I, I don't know. Could be. Was it? Was are you thinking else. of the Jay Z Lincoln Park collab no. album? Didn't really care for that too much. I'm not a big what collab. What the hell are you waiting for? After yeah. me, it should be no more. Yeah, I uh, went and ruined a song. <laughs> I guess it was on Chapo, so probably most people who listen to this heard it, but that was such a funny line <laughs> when, this past week when Felix said just another boring Jay-Z song where he lists his J.P. Morgan retirement plan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just listing off his asset sheet. He's like, all right, yeah. okay, cool. <laughs> Oh, you're getting into uh, bonds now too. All right, okay, diversify. <laughs> uh, oh, you're like Basquiat. Okay, okay, sure you are. Sure okay, you are. Okay. Um. Yeah. I speaking of Basquiat. So I finished my paintings. So that's a. Yes. I mean, you know, I, I'm assuming people knew why we weren't on the last two weeks, but it's not my fault. It's all Eric's fault because he's got to paint. It was so, so much more time consuming because like we, so the thinking was like, we can move our stuff and I can still work on the paintings and then we can like unpack the stuff. Um, Sounds like a, after I'm done. Solid plan. (laughs) Well, you know, we unpacked some stuff, but it was like, just like there, the kitchen here has the cabinets are way, uh, not, not narrow, as deep. But what do you? Not as, not as shallow. Deep. There's not a different there's shallow not an in the horizontal for, in the horizontal what, direction. Uh, what do you call? I would call that the Z axis. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that would be horizontal. Well, like, yeah, like uh, like uh, you know when when you're having sex with a guy and like like. It's like not nearly as deep as you thought it was going to be. Like, would you call that mm-hmm. shallow? I guess so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a difference between stacking rice bowls. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so we like didn't have any space for our pantry food stuff. So that was in boxes. So then I'm trying to, and Miho's working, you know, and it's like my, I do like, all of the house stuff because she's working. And so like, and, I'm and here. you're not paid one cent for it either. I might add. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, um, but I can buy whatever food I want to make for dinner. Um, so that's the beauty of it. And so it was just like, it was adding like 45 minutes just to make like pasta or something. You know, because I got to search through all these cardboard boxes for, you know, where's the olive oil? Where's the. And so then I was like, I got to just like, we got to go to Ikea and get like a pantry thing. Um, So it just it was like little stuff like that where, Mm -hmm. you know, you like I'm like, I have to do this house stuff like the bathroom in our room. um, Just like in the corner tucked away. uh, It is. Like it would, uh, the water wouldn't fill. 
And so then I'm like, well, what's the problem with that? Okay, it's like the fill valve thing. And like, I don't want to call the landlord to fix an $8 Yeah, something you can just buy from Ace Hardware or Amazon and Yeah, exactly. And, you know, for as little like um, handyman stuff as I am capable of doing, I can do like toilet stuff kind of well. Mm -hmm. Um, I can at least figure it out. That's like... An engineering problem that is not too complicated for me. <laughs> I can figure out how the flapper and everything works on the toilet. It's when they do those fucking uh, tool, dual zone toilets that have like the, the, the flush for pee and flush for poop. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like that whole tower system inside. It's just a, it's just a gimmick. It's not even like a real mechanical system that's flushing different amounts of water. One just holds that flapper open for one second longer than the other one does. But the whole, yeah, it's, it's a stupid concept. Just make all toilets single flush. You're not, uh, I don't know. That's I'm with Trump on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I like the dual flush, but our downstairs bathroom is having the, like where you got to hold yeah. the, the least one and, I'm I was looking at it and like being like I got to take this whole thing apart to do it like I'm not doing that so right so if you press the small button but then hold it you might as well just press the big button because you're doing the thing that's a good point does (laughs) that's a good point um so so then uh so for you know fixing the thing I was like okay well I'll, I'll fix that so I go to and, you know, I was doing the thing like on the fill valve where there's like the screw to change the leveler mm-hmm. for like how long the the bobber kind the float, of thing the is. The float can raise up. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was messing with that and I got it to where for like a week it was working totally fine. And then it just like, you know, I'm getting near the end of my paintings and it starts not working again, which is just it's just like frustrating to every time you go to the bathroom you have to take the lid off to just tap the little yeah 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 uh, yeah you know to get it going lever it, well and is so it a, is it a like, problem where it won't start or is there a problem where it just keeps filling up and you just hear it constantly running type of it's it's a it wouldn't fill up so okay. the the float was stuck on okay the, okay yeah the thing um so it wasn't like it wasn't going low enough it was just and so when i went to go fix it um you know, I'm watching this thing and it's like, you know, fix it in 30 seconds. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. Um, <laughs> I got so 30 I seconds. Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, got, I got all the stuff. And then, uh, you know, for those who haven't fixed a toilet recently, <clears throat> the like whole tube goes down and then there's like a, a ring that essentially clamps it closed so that it's not, you know, changing height or whatever like yeah. the whole system is it's not the old the old school toilets that used to have like an actual rubber flapper that would pop open like the top right. of a of a tea kettle and then fold back down like a lid or whatever right it's and so the like plastic ring you're supposed to be able to just kind of pop up this tube and then the whole thing is loosened because uh, that ring like tightens it together <clears throat> so you can just pull the whole thing up and I go to do that and the ring doesn't budge. Mm-mm-mm-mm. And so then I'm like, all right, <clears throat> let's get a, you know, washcloth and see if we can pull it up. Nope. Can't do that. Then I'm like, how do I get this thing? Cause it's such a tight system. So then I go to get, uh, I end up needing to get my hammer 
to like lever i know in a toilet (laughs) 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 so i'm like if i crack this thing open um and so i had to like just hook the like this is how much of a handyman i am i don't even know what the like nail removal part is called the claw okay the claw i hook that under it and i'm able to like just kind of you know give it the slight yank and so i think the float had been like calcified enough that it was like there was too much friction for it to so now that's fixed but you know that turns into like a 30 minute thing because we're now in a three-story place like the tools are in the garage yeah you gotta run up and down god so it's just all of that kind of stuff was building up but I was able to paint my paintings and I uploaded them to the online thing and I don't see them there yet, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Have I you will. figured out how to ship them yet? Uh, or so are you just going to wear them as clothes on the plane? Uh, I'm going to fly with them. So, right. And I'm not going to uh, put them in tubes. I'm just going to do it in a box. There is like the airline I'm taking does oversized stuff and I'll be able to pack it safe enough. Okay. Um, and so I'm doing that, and uh, yeah, so that's I'm gonna be able to go and go to Miami. It's very exciting. Um, I've the thing I was about to be like, you know, so I can start, you know, making a few more paintings for other people if they're interested in getting paintings. Uh, but then Miho found this uh post, like on the forum thing where she found like the miami art week thing on anyways um and this restaurant right down the street is like a little japanese restaurant that it's been around for 35 years but somebody else bought it because they want to keep it going and they changed the name and uh nothing interiorly has changed for 35 years Mm -hmm. and so he's wanting to like spruce it up and get like a painting on the wall so I might be doing that. Oh, cool. <laughs> so uh, might be um, actually doing a mural soon. Sweet. So you're like actually painting the wall at the restaurant, yeah. not, not hanging a painting on the wall. Yeah, no, painting the wall. Painting their like entryway, and then they have like a hallway that the bathrooms are in that they kind of want stuff painted in. Um, so planning on doing stuff like that. So yeah, I've got... The wheels are in motion for just <laughs> actually getting an art career going. You can do it. So you're only two weeks away from uh, Miami? <laughs> no. Oh. I'm over a month away. Oh, I was thinking it was like November 5th. No, yeah. It's it's uh, November 30th is the first day of the okay, show. Okay, okay. That's and right. And it goes until December 4th. Okay, I was confusing the beginning of December with the beginning of November. Okay, cool. Uh, that's okay. That's not nearly it's as stressful December. as I was as I thought. <laughs> nearly December, yeah. Um, the well, yeah. The the deadline for painting these was so I could upload them to be on their online promotion mm-hmm. stuff before the show. Um, so I guess it wasn't technically necessary, but also I don't like getting close to when things are actually due, and. I needed to make sure that the paintings I was going to make, because the deadline for like the the booth design where you're going to hang stuff and how the lighting should be was due Monday. And so I needed to make sure these paintings looked good enough mm-hmm. um, to like be ones that I was going to hang there. Because if I do a new painting, maybe it's a different size. Uh, 
Or if it didn't uh, work, so you could have yeah. just said, I want a pitch black booth with no lighting. And then just yes. hung your paintings in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a flashlight show. Yeah. It's um, it's more of an installation. <laughs> uh, I do have news, though. If anybody is uh, in Miami that listens to this or going to be in Miami those dates, um, reach out, let me know, because I might be able to help you on tickets to the art show. It is like a citywide art event. So like mm-hmm. it, it's very confusing because there's not really an official name for it, even though the city I think wants you to call it Miami Art Week, but there's other events that are not associated with it. They call themselves Art Week in Miami. Yeah, and yeah. And then um, you know, Art Walk Miami, stuff like that. So there's tons of stuff. It's at the same time as Art Basel Miami. Art Basel is based out of Switzerland. Uh, that's a huge art show in Europe, and they uh, Miami is one of their shows. They do like Shanghai, uh, Switzerland, I think Paris, and uh, maybe Nice, France, and and Miami. Um, but anyways, there's there's tickets in it possibly. Ooh, <laughs> which I don't know how much they cost to actually attend. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine it's too much because it's a huge art fair. Yeah, is it at multiple locations or is it all just one building? It's one building. Well, so the thing I'm in is uh, called, uh, I'm in Spectrum Miami. And that's one wing of this kind of conference center. And then Red Dot Miami is the building that is attached to it. And so that those two things should have over like 20,000 pieces of art in them. Um and so it's a huge show there, but you have stuff all over the city mm-hmm. where like, you know, there's there's murals being painted or uh, there's different design shows and all that kind of stuff. So there's stuff all over. Um, but my thing is just going to be in one location unless I get, you know, hired to do something else. If you also live in Miami and need some art thing done. Go go paint on the side of one of those buildings. I'm trying to remember what their like uh, arts district deep elm thing is i think it's winwood winwood yeah, yeah yeah it's cool um and they had like uh last time i was there it was before the pandemic but they had a thing going on about all of the street art and murals there um and there was a big sort of all the local artists have like a group of like for for lack of a better term kind of like a union of of local artists so mm-hmm. that when uh like a big advertiser or something wants to come in and paint a cool looking street mural but it's really for like absolute vodka or something um mm-hmm. they don't just like hire some corporate firm to come and just do like a paint by numbers type of mural type of thing the the way that they allow that type of advertising in the district is if the those advertisers for those products paid directly to the local artists to do the murals and then so to become like a local artist that does those street art murals like there's like a i guess some sort of cooperative where everyone like 
agrees who's part of the group and who's like not part of the group or whatever. I don't know what the political dynamics of that must be like in the local artist community. <laughs> yeah, especially for Miami. Yeah, but um, um, it was it was like a really interesting like the art show that was going on was about all of the street art. And then they had a bunch of conversations going on about the advertising and how can we, because the big problem was like, look, people come to Wynwood all the time to take pictures of our street art. And they like put them all over their magazines and, you know, all over their Instagram and this get lots of engagement, but we don't see anything from that. And like a little club isn't going to pay us $20,000 to paint a mural for their club on the side of their building. <laughs> like they don't have right. the money to do that. The only way they're going to do that is if it's like sponsored by Jack Daniels or whatever else as well. So you got to figure out how do you, how do can the artists make money without the local businesses losing money? <laughs> and how, how do you make that all work? So I, it was a pretty fascinating uh, conversation, at least the last time I was there. I have read before too that, like outside of Wynwood, where there's I guess this you know collective kind of working together, um, Miami has a lot of like murals and sponsored murals. Um, you know, being a party city, mm-hmm. uh, but there have been cases where like uh, muralists have been hired by a company to paint on a building, and they start painting on the building. And it's like all done over the internet and the owner of the building did not approve it. And so then the <laughs> artist is on the hook yeah. because the company's like, no, we didn't, you know, tell them to paint on this thing. So. When the city comes crack- cracking down on them because they didn't have a permit to do the mural, the business yeah. is like, oh yeah, it's not our fault. Arrest yeah, arrest yeah. the artist. <laughs> yep. Um, so, I mean, Miami feels like Miami. Yeah. <laughs> Very excited. Uh, it was also cool that... So I'm sharing an Airbnb with two of the other artists in the show. Um, it is like a... Not even one bed. It's like a studio mm-hmm. <laughs> that the three of us will be sleeping in. Okay. Um, so it's going to be very cramped because the price of everything was just too high. Like the the uh, place that we're showing, they like, you know, said, hey, we have discounted hotel rates if you want to stay at this hotel for all of our artists. And it was like, I think $240 for the discounted per night. Per night, yeah. Fuck. Um, so it's just a very pricey <laughs> place. Yeah, yeah. And so it was really cool that our first Airbnb, uh, Airbnb just canceled, um, said no. So um, had to scramble to find another one recently. <laughs> oh, well, you should have told me. I just uh, hooked you up to stay in the bungalow at my uncle's place on South Beach. I mean, if he has a bungalow still available, that might I might need to talk to you off air. Yeah, yeah, talk talk to me. I could I could probably help you out there if you if you needed a place to stay. I also have some other friends that live there, but they might be staying in their Miami house during that time. They usually stay in the Keys because they have a little uh, little condo in the Keys, so they're down there most of the time. But like, I guess that's during the school year. So if they are, then they'll probably be up there with their kid back in. Miami, but it's it's a little further away. They're like in Coconut Grove, <clears throat> a little bit north of downtown. Uh, well, we're staying like I think like a forty five minute bus ride to 
where our event even is. So yeah, yeah. Miami. Uh, the other great thing about Miami, it's true modern American city where everything is too far away from everything else, and you got to get there in a car. And they have like light rail, but it kind of goes nowhere and doesn't connect anything that you want to get to. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> So yeah, so just be ready to pay, you know, 45 bucks for an Uber everywhere you're going. Yeah. Um, if everyone, I'll pull the TC move too. If everyone wants to help uh, help me out a little bit, you can follow me online. Um, I'll be posting my pictures of my paintings and stuff. I'm at Eric Beal Art. So Eric Bell Art? Nope. Nope. Okay. Eric Beal Art. <laughs> no underscores, no hyphens. Uh, no scams selling you a bong. <laughs> That's my guarantee. <clears throat> well, I'm 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 glad we got to catch up. We've we're yeah, we're back on the same page now. Yeah, I know. I I really felt you know that was the thing too that getting busy. I love doing this, um, and I love talking. So I'm always like, ah, I guess we could just do an episode where we don't research because that's the thing that really the reason that I can't do it during this time because I can't actually dedicate any time to researching anything. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I've heard from some people that us just talking is also enjoyable. So (laughs) yeah, they, they always turn it off right when we get to the science stuff. They're like, fuck that. (laughs) I just wanted to hear the, the witty, the witty banter between these two mates. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I don't know. Uh, I enjoy listening to that part. So <laughs> it's it's good. I mean, we I guess we decided this one um, in October, but it is kind of a spooky season. Yes, yes. Event. Did we decide this one in October? Because our last episode was uh, September thirtieth. Oh so yeah, 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 yeah. So it had to be like that next week. Okay, yeah. Right, it's 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 not really spooky. Well, I mean, if you think Frankenstein, yeah. You you know you got it you got to create life from something, right? It doesn't come from nothing. It comes from a creator, who just <laughs> yeah. breathes life into a bunch of uh like clay dolls that he made out of the sand, and when he breathes life into them, those little clay dolls come alive, and that's how humans that's how humans started, right? And humans can't do that because then that would just break the right order of things. <laughs> Uh, no, we've talked about um, abiogenesis before, uh, you know, going back to like the very beginning of the podcast after we did the COVID and virus stuff, we talked about RNA uh, hypothesis for the start of life. We talked about the uh, how we get the uh, cell membrane layer, how we talked about the metabolism hypothesis related to the mitochondria becoming the how that started and if it was like a thing that was captured by a cell and then they you know created this symbiotic relationship that then became a replicatable thing for dna um so we've talked about uh like this in a lot of different ways and in every time we've talked about it's always been like hey and you know these are this is kind of where the unknowns the uh the 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 spark in in the in the petri dish you know that's that's where the frontier of the biological science is at this point and we've talked about how like in more abstract lab settings with 
uh, different, uh, more reactive type of chemicals, you can, there's been like synthetic creations of, of, uh, bringing non-biologic things to life. Um, but they're always very, um, exotic or seemingly too abstract to actually be a, something that would have happened in the natural world as part of our evolution story. But it is more of like, in this uh, science experiment, we have shown that this m- methodology is possible by create by having life synthesized from something that was non-living, even though this probably wasn't the chemical compound that did it on Earth. We were able to do it with these other chemicals in the lab, and maybe that will eventually lead us to figure out which chemical compounds did it on Earth. But there's also just a lot of barriers in in order to figure out figure this out and understanding how how it all worked. Um, and uh, there's a new paper that came out at the beginning of the month that is talking about some experiments that they were doing with uh, water droplets, and basically the idea of trying to figure out how you create these peptides and things that would eventually lead to proteins if you need to have stuff get dry in order for that to happen how do you do it if everything's always in the water and that's always been a problem yeah because the like you know we as you were saying we've spoken about those very simple kind of things like the the membrane being a lipid bilayer, um, lipids being, you know, <clears throat> what is it? Hydrophobic. Mm-hmm. So they don't, they don't mix with water very well. It's like, okay, you can kind of see how then if they're hydrophobic, then those things would come together because they're going to <clears throat> want to be around other stuff. That's not water. So that makes sense. But the thing with other stuff being in water is uh you know when you come to peptides is you need to lose water in order to form these beginnings of proteins and stuff and as i always describe proteins are like the you know lock and key thing that you need they're very the way that proteins work is you have a physical shape that like a chemical goes in And then because of that, the charge changes within that protein. So it changes its shape again to then change something about the chemical that came in. It's either breaking it apart, joining it together with something else or adding something on. Uh, And so because charges and stuff are also very important, that means it's going to attract things like water. (laughs) Like, Mm. you know, you can't really have charge work very well in an area where there's other stuff that's charged because then it's just going to like kind of cancel each other out. Um, And so I, this uh, paper that was published is like very cool. Seems like very, I don't know. It's one of those things where you, can imagine the scientists getting so bogged down in something that they then like take a step back mm-hmm. and are able to like think in way more simple terms. Yeah, yeah. We're, what could possibly go on? We've 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 zoomed in way too close to to try to figure out what's going on in this picture. We're, we're we are at, we're we're zoomed in so far. The pixels are so granular now that we don't can't really tell what's going on. Like 
I, I can imagine the problem is you once you get down to that level, now you're starting to think of, so if I was the size of one of these small pre-proteins, right, right. like how could I dry myself off if I'm in the ocean and I can't get out of the ocean? How <laughs> like, you, you, you get quickly stuck because you can't like, how can you imagine even if you were like your full size self, if you were in the ocean and someone threw you a towel <laughs> to dry yourself off, but you couldn't get out of the water. How, how do you, how do you get dry? Like, how does, how is it even possible? Yeah, it's, it's, really cool because it is you know you're imagining these these chemists and engineers and biologists and stuff just thinking able to like conceptualize the interactions of molecules and then as you're saying they're able to just step back and be like well where is the dry part of water <laughs> oh it's on like the surface yeah the surface <laughs> um, of water and then you're like but wait a second if all the water is all touching each other in the whole ocean, then there's no surface of one piece of water inside of all the big water. So how do you get to the surface of one piece of water inside of the big water? And that's what's, yeah, The this paper is so great because they found that in uh, sea spray, like the part where just the water would either splash against itself or splash against rocks, um by making like really what they called micro droplets, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just the, the tiniest mist you can make. Yeah. It would then be able to create such surface area and such small amounts of water to air <laughs> ratio that chemical reactions can proceed on their own that then causes the... Um, the amino acids that are in the water, which amino acids are the Lego pieces and peptides are beginning to build the, you know, death star of the protein. Mm -hmm. The amino acids would then be able to like bind together because the water that is required for that reaction to bind them together is literally lost at that surface because it can go away to the air. Yeah. You're you're you have this meeting between the surface of the water droplet and the air that makes it such that the actual surface of the droplet. So if you imagine like a circular droplet floating in the air, like a bubble, that surface is dry. <laughs> yeah, it's still water. True. It's still water <laughs> on the inside of that bubble. It's all water. But the surface of that water is dry. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's, and it it's has very to, funny. It has to do with the, the velocity and the speed and because it's so small and when it, when the droplets get so small mixed with, you know, how big the air is when the droplets are that small, there can be that sort of rubbing up against each other that causes them to experience rapid dryness, which lasts just long enough, just long enough to create, to cause this chain reaction to go through the amino acids. And the peptides. And the experimental procedure they use to like show this is great. That it's just like two streams of water bashing into each other. Yeah. Um, and then they have like a, a what is it? A spectrometry, spectrometry machine. I forget the actual name. Uh, spectrometer. 
there we go um that's like catching the droplets so that they can you know shoot these light waves through and see what the chemical compounds are that arrive there and what's great about this too is this paper is talking about the two most basic amino acids um glycine and alanine which like if you look up their structure are very basic Mm -hmm. um but they are also the two most abundant uh amino acids so this is like Obviously, if you're going to need to make a bunch of these, you need a very simple way to make them. Right. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, combining them together. Yeah. And and it means that it all works with the idea of a bunch of micrometeorites and bombardment of space, other space dust and rocks hitting the earth would have a lot of these early unmodified building blocks just, you know, piling up in the oceans and on the surface of the planet. And uh, they, they are keen to point out too in this, while they did give the example of like the imagination for the experiment was like two kids with water hoses spraying them at each other in the front yard. And you see all the mist like arise above the, above their heads and get caught in the sunlight and everything Um, that this process doesn't just require like that type of extreme action. It could also be from like fresh water dribbling down the sides of rocks and the sides of cliff faces and things like that. As it drops quickly from different elevations, you can get the same um, interaction between the micro droplets that causes the surface to be dry. Yeah. Which is again, just great (laughs) that it, it shows it doesn't have to be in extreme conditions that you can create a laboratory. Like, mm-hmm. um, I know IJB was talking about this the other day, like with the Dr. Oz uh, dog experiments and stuff, which I don't know exactly about his experiments, but um, <laughs> suffice it to say that you cannot do things in a lab without like doing it in an animal right now. The science is not advanced enough. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it is, uh, so much more of like a difficult thing that to, to make something in a lab that works than to be like, this can exist in nature is such a different, it's almost not, it doesn't translate because you're able to (laughs) tailor the conditions to what you need to have happen. Uh, And then to say like, well, this could possibly work if, you know, it's this exact temperature and this exact speed and all this kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, given a few billion years, I suppose that could happen. But showing that it could just be some water dribbling down the side of a hill yeah, makes it so much simpler. You, yeah, you don't need a primordial ooze that gets hit by a bolt of lightning that then like gets that then winds up down by some geothermal vent at the bottom of the ocean to get a bunch of thermal energy to then shoot back up out of the ocean to then you you don't have to it doesn't it, you no longer are thinking okay we need like five extremely rare high energy events to happen in order to make this thing work <laughs> you're like oh it's just like shit should just get sprayed up in a mist that's really all you it's really all you need um yeah which makes it like the the other part of it is the 
when you're looking for life that's outside of the uh, outside of our planet, like abiogenesis matters for that very specifically. Um, like us finding the origins of life here is finding the origins of life everywhere else. And when you when with this experiment, it shows that yes, the we could think of all these crazy exotic alien beings that live off of sulfur and or drink liquid mercury or whatever but probably <laughs> the way that this works out is that the way that it happened here is going to be similar in those same if those conditions are found other places it's not like we're going to just find some other type of organism that we can't even imagine because we have no idea how the chemical process would work for, you know, them just surviving solely on methane or something. Um, this, this just reinforces the idea of, Hey, yeah, let's Europa could be pretty, could be an idea where some life is because it is just a giant ocean un under ice that is, um, active with tectonics because of the gravity of the planet that it's orbiting and you know there's that you're going to get a lot of splash and moving around and mist and things that are created even underneath the ice that could create life based upon uh this experiment and the same thing now when you like take james webb and you look at other um, solar systems and other planets out in the universe, like, you know, there's like things that you can look for in the spectrometry, um, that you have already simulated in the lab that could help you identify that this specific sort of, uh, water micro molecule or micro droplet reaction is happening. Um, so the, uh, I think those are the I guess the the big exciting things from this to me is like yeah I want to know like the origins of life on earth not not so much that because like we got to we got to put an end to these creation myth bullshit but more like yeah it's just the natural quest of us trying to figure out who we are but in a in a bigger sense like the closer we get to figuring this out the closer we get to making the universe a much smaller place for all of us and we get like a bit a bit better perspective on like how every, how everything works and how interrelated everything is and it is so it's kind of weird uh reading the three body problem when you know i'm also reading this paper you know because you're talking <laughs> yeah. about uh other um other civilizations in space and like how they work and uh, all those types of things. And so it is it is like a, a sort of interesting, uh, interesting look into evolution and then also just, uh, hey, I, another just great reminder that we're not some special fucking snowflake, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, you know, abiogenesis, like I, I love biology. Um, if there was a way to actually, you know, if we lived in a society where <laughs> learning things didn't require you to have to, uh, fight for tenure at a university or, or start whatever, a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, then that would be, I would love to do biology stuff. I mean, I like 
my art career, I'd probably do that more. Um, but if I was going to go back into it, I think abiogenesis would be one just cause it's, it seems like you're working with people that are much more in tune with like figuring those kinds of questions out and not so fixated on, uh, stuff like in a laboratory where you're like, we're just trying to unravel the mysteries of God. Um, <laughs> It would be, it'd be great. I wanted to, so not to get too bogged down in like the chemistry of it. Um, but I looked at like the paper a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so the stuff that they found that was being combined, the combination of like glycine and alanine, and then I don't know, tricky kind of stuff that was going on. Yeah. This is, this is important because it's not it's not the it's the same exotic combinations that had previously been done in synthetic lab studies. It was so they formed, or at least the paper is talking about mostly this dipeptide, meaning just two amino acids coming together. Um, and whenever that happens, you have two isomers, which means like kind of the orientation of it, um, which means that it can operate in different ways if it's a protein it can do different things so by combining two proteins or two amino acids you can get kind of two different proteins to do two different things which just means like you know you're not limiting yourself in this early early atmosphere um to like just one specific pathway mm -hmm. and so the the proposed isomeric dipeptide ion that they made was uh, oxazolidinone, um, which has oh, yeah. oxazolidinone. Like yeah, it's the household uh, <laughs> dipeptide uh, that you everybody knows and loves. We grew up with. We yeah. all had our oxazolidinone uh, stuffed animal yep. as kids. <laughs> this is our one shared culture in America. Um, so the. The few things that I wanted to talk about is that that is like a class of compounds um, that in chemistry are very useful for different things. So this is like why this would be a good thing to show that you can make from sea spray. It is uh, in chemistry useful as uh, what they call Evans auxiliaries, which is used for chiral synthesis. So Evans auxiliaries... Uh, for any chemist that's listening, this is really mainly for you. Go check out our, the, our chirality episode if you'd like to know more about that. <laughs> the <laughs> the uh, aldol reaction is where you're forming like carbon-carbon bonds in organic chemistry. And chiral means when you have uh, like bonds of different atoms together... Um, if you have enough of different stuff, like if you have, you know, carbon dioxide, so you have one carbon and two oxygens on both sides of it, you don't have a chiral version of that because it's just a straight line of mm -hmm. atoms. It doesn't take multiple shapes. But if instead on that carbon, you put uh, one hydrogen, one oxygen, uh, you know, a nitrogen, and then a fourth thing. Well, depending on where that fourth thing is, you can kind of have that up. I think actually you have the hydrogen up technically in organic chemistry to talk about chirality. And the orientation 
between the oxygen and nitrogen in relation to that fourth connector means that you have like a left-handed or a right-handed uh you know molecule mm-hmm. which means it will literally fit and operate differently in different things and it um, might mean one thing it does really good for you and if it does the other way it could kill you <laughs> yes um which what was that in like tylenol yeah yeah right that was like the one that they there's they didn't understand that the left-handed version of it or maybe it's the right-handed like killed you <laughs> um so a uh, good thing they figured that out um and so the the chirality is very important because again it shows that you can with this uh, oxa dipeptide that they're making that means other things other carbon carbon bonds can be made to make different shapes of stuff it makes it easier for that to happen yeah in you're, fact it's needed you're not just combining a couple things to make a dead end thing right uh, yeah this is not the end product you know we are not 100 percent uh oxidolinones. um and so that's important um in the acid chloride substrate uh forming I'm sorry, the acid chloride substrate reacts with this dipeptide uh, to form an imide and uh, in organic chemistry. An imide is a functional group consisting of two uh, acyl groups bound to nitrogen. So just know that that means it makes very good use out of the very abundant nitrogen stuff. It like binds more stuff to it. Um, I believe an acyl group is like just a carbon oxygen essentially um but again you're working with carbon oxygen and nitrogen for like all of this stuff so yep and we got all, we're gonna there's a lot of nitrogen at all the times on the earth's history all of the times um and then it this also is part of directs any uh, aldol reaction in the alpha position, blah, blah, blah. Basically, it just does another carbon-carbon bond. So essentially, this dipeptide that sea spray can make um, is functional in all of these other steps. It is literally like a video game where you're unlocking a level to then, like in an RPG, where the next one, you unlock three different categories of stuff you can make. Mm -hmm. So this is essentially like a... A machine that sea spray is able to make. Yeah. It makes things, other chemical reactions possible that were not previously possible. So is this why in the paper they talk about other applications they're working on and they talk about how this could be used to test a lot of formulations of different pharmaceuticals and get very rapid like throughput analysis of it? Because if once they've set this thing up to look for abiogenesis, now that they know that it does this, they can set up the experiment to look for all kinds of combinations and see which ones are like you know, bad or good and how those things would work based on, or uh, better or worse than other types of uh, combinations in different pharmaceutical applications. Yeah, I mean, that's that's like one reason that they're doing it. I think. My thinking is that they're really doing that for funding. Because, right, right. 
you, they couldn't yeah, figure out a military reason, so they had to come up with a <laughs> with the far, right. big pharma reason so that they can keep their money to keep the project. Going. Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> who's paying you to learn that there's uh, life everywhere else in the planet? Like, you know, that's that's well, uh, I kind of I kind of want to believe that you know MAGA Drew Brees gave a big endowment from all of his big quarterback money to Purdue University and that's what they've been using for for this study. Purdue's been that would it's be just nice. been Drew Brees um, funding this study. But I kind of don't think he's the kind of guy who who wants to end a creation myth. I mean, yeah, but you're talking about a university named after a pharmaceutical company. So <laughs> That's why they're called the boiler makers cuz the boiler was to boil up a bunch of pills. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Um, so you got to find a way to make money for somebody, um, which again, we were talking about earlier and bemoaning. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, I guess you could make it that I don't really see the, the application other than it can make a bunch of chemicals real fast. Um, yeah. yeah, Or or you can see, you see all the reactions real fast. So you don't have to, maybe you don't have to do one by one type of analysis maybe you can like yeah yeah wow i just saw the entire cornucopia of reactions all at once now we just have to have a supercomputer you know filter the data for me and it can tell me thumbs up or thumbs down (laughs) yeah i suppose i mean i it would drive me insane to be an organic chemist to be coming up with like you know how many moles of this do i need to mix with this just to get this output like and in what conditions that would drive me insane. Um, yeah, so I can see how that would work, but I guess, I guess <laughs> <laughs> go for it. The The other thing they mentioned though, is that they have forthcoming, uh, research that they're going to be publishing soon on other peptides that were created in this process. Just this paper was this one, which I don't know if it was the, most abundant or if it was the most um hard result like the you know easiest one to kind of sell them on yeah yeah um, or yeah or maybe the others just it's like a lot more data to filter through and yeah maybe they're more compelling but it just takes longer to put that paper together that proves that what you got out of the out of the experiment type of thing I mean, it it makes sense to me that even if you have, like, very little data on, you know, some peptide that's created through all of this process, like, if there's, if the sample is very low, very, very low concentration of it, you got billions of years you're working with, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, whenever I think of this stuff and imagine, like, it being hard to conceptualize, because it's a breeze for me yeah um totally i'm always thinking in four billion year scales i just think like when was the last time i watched anything that wasn't entertainment for 30 minutes (laughs) (laughs) you know then multiply that by like more than three at least to get to a billion and yeah you're you're talking in very large numbers there you have possibilities is what I'm saying. There's many possibilities. Um, go for it. Oh, 
I was just going to say it, it it does make me wonder I I told you this on text when the when we were reading the story initially but like uh you know Mars we've been sending stuff to Mars to try to find evidence of life on Mars for a while now you know my entire life um and um I mean they were sending stuff in the 70s even before then but the partially because it's the most convenient place to get to in the solar system uh, that's not just our moon and uh, you could with our technology and rockets and the way that we were developing things like it was a achievable target but I wonder if stuff like this makes the effort at searching for this type of evidence of life now much more prioritized towards places that do have evidence of existing water on them not uh two billion years ago it had water on it before it lost its atmosphere and started tumbling or you know whatever the i I just wonder it makes me wonder if mars had enough time where it had enough of a violent ocean that it could have evolved life beyond maybe the single cell level type of thing. Um, and I wonder... Do you know the, go ahead. what the age of Mars is? It's the same as Earth. Okay, so it only had two billion years of yeah, yeah. ocean? Yeah, it's smaller. It's now dormant. It didn't have... Uh, its tectonics didn't last nearly as long as Earth's did. Its dynamo didn't last. It does not have a protective magnetic field anymore um it does not have an atmosphere there's no atmospheric pressure really on the planet whatsoever i i I just it just makes me wonder if if time in order to get uh if time is the biggest factor like if cutting that time in half is that too detrimental to get the thing started because that Mm. seems like Cutting it in half seems like a big, <laughs> like a, like a big hindrance. To- I've watched something for fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but like if we know, like Europa has ocean, um, like will all of our future? And there is a current planned uh, trip to Europa with different types of probes. Um, I wonder if all of the stuff. Our, all of our exploration is going to be more geared towards drone and robotic explorations of places where we know that actual liquid water exists because um, we might be able to get much quicker um, confirmation of these types of hypotheses by just going to those places rather than looking for ancient archaeological evidence from billions of years ago on a on something that's no longer living at all. I it's it just seems like it might be I don't know. If if there were, if if we had gone there and scraped down a little bit in the surface and we were like, "Oh wow, look at all these relics of all of this biological life." That would be one thing, but that just hasn't been the case. So, I don't know. It makes me wonder if it was if it ever really got kickstarted or if it did get kickstarted it just didn't have enough time to get to any type of complexity that would have lasted uh to show to leave any kind of uh fossil record or even like chemical or biological record that it ever was there yeah i 
I do wonder, um, because the, I mean, you know, this is just the guy kind of, kind of doing some self-promotion, but his, uh, his line at the end of the article saying just like, uh, seek out rough oceans, Mm -hmm. um, it does, you know, make you think that that would, you would have way more likelihood of things spinning up. Cause you, you know, again, you've got these rough oceans on one part and they have to then come in contact with, uh, you know, a lipid bilayer on earth. Um, so you do need enough time and space and everything and rough enough oceans that push those things together and just kind of force them to be close to each other. Um, Yeah. They can't just be like stagnant pools that are slowly drying on a desert floor. No. Yeah, it is. It has to be, uh, moving around. Um, and you know, the, like the six ish kind of characteristics of what life is, which is, it's very funny to read these because it's always in like the intro to biology courses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get to something like abiogenesis and it's like, yeah, well, you know, it didn't, uh, didn't necessarily follow this path, <laughs> but just having, you know, a, a sensitive sensitivity or response to the environment or having growth and development. I mean, those two things right there means that it needs to have enough interaction, uh, between these things that the, any kind of membrane would then essentially utilize this protein. And when you think about it, our cells, there's no thought process that's going on in your Mm-mm. cell. Uh, it is the just flow of chemicals. So that is what happens on that very primordial level of cell. But at the same time, you need enough kind of energy in the system to have that work when you just get, you know, <laughs> two different things bouncing around you need a little extra force to get them to to do something instead of uh you know however many atoms make up a a cell that we currently have i don't know what is it trillions probably yeah at least but that's no still idea. not even close to the smallest thing nowhere close no, no it's not i was thinking of planck scale this morning <clears throat> That that should be your your next art piece should be on the Planck scale. Yeah, I always like, try to think not, of how not to, like conceptually, like actually at this at that scale. <laughs> and just put like okay. a just you know, put a spotlight on it pointing at the wall where you hung it and you you know, you put your little ID card underneath it and put like ten thousand dollars or however much money you want for it. Uh that's that's already been done. Um <laughs> I interviewed an artist that she in grad school did her art piece. She just put it and she said her art piece was like, uh, she listed all of the chemicals that were like in the air in the room. Okay. Um, as her art piece. And then her friends listed her art piece as the descriptor, <laughs> that <laughs> the artist I interviewed and did. So that kind of conceptual stuff I'll leave to the, uh, conceptual people (laughs) yeah man i'm gonna be the first person to just i'm gonna nft nitrogen then then everyone's gonna have to pay me money for just having an atmosphere what happened to nfts didn't they i think they're coming i think they're coming back there's some 
NFL promotion thing, or no, no, uh, movie promotion thing where they're going to make like whole movies NFTs, which I don't okay. understand that. Sounds like a great way to lose money. It's, but it just, it's just, it's like, look, the next person got in the pyramid and they got to figure out a way to uh, get their right. downline in order to fund them so that they're not the ones that are at the bottom of the pyramid. I I got a message on Instagram the other day that some D-hole uh, messaged me saying he wanted to make my art into NFTs. Oh, cool. Um, so I said, no, uh, never. And if he does, I'll just sue him. <laughs> you can't because I own him. <laughs> it's, blockchain says I own him, so don't see how you could sue me. <laughs> It's such a, such a elementary school kid sort of thought process. <laughs> it it is, but you know that's it's 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 where it's all going. I mean, it, if anything, it was like um, we. What I really think happened was we ran out of enough clever names and enough uh backroom distilleries to make enough uh sparkling ales and ciders and uh things that had celebrities faces on them you know that they made their own like uh sparkling alcohol water or whatever mm-hmm. and so like that ran its course and when all the celebrities that were too late to the to that game you know, they had to come up with something else. And that's what the NFT thing happened. That's what all the NFTs were. It's just the same thing as all the fucking, all the fucking seltzers to me. Okay. I can kind of see that. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just people who want to, you know, live off of scarcity. Right. Or, or yeah, like, all the celebrities that ran did like get their own, uh, vineyard like 10 years ago you know yeah because man yeah, why i always see we, we know climate change is real so we better start grabbing up all these vineyards because wine's gonna be scarcity soon right it is it feels so icky to me the uh the celebrities that then get like their own um like tequila yeah type of farms Uh-oh. my thing's beeping at me Uh-oh. we're about to die I told you the Adventists well, were right. Okay. Be on well, the lookout for the rapture, everyone. I hear I hear they re, they reevaluated their calcs. <laughs> <laughs> I'll update you later on text. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, I'm glad you're back. Oh, I died. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was gonna last like another minute. There's a tsunami okay. warning. Did North Korea fire no. enough off another missile? No, I had full battery at the beginning and then it died. Oh. What was it just an alert that uh that Liz Truss is stepping down as prime minister? Yeah, possibly. We we can only do podcasts whenever someone named Liz is no longer in power in England. <laughs> when, when was the last Liz? Oh. 
<laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, fucking you stood in you stood in that queue for two weeks and you already forgot. <laughs> I got a lot going on. <laughs> I, now I know why you couldn't podcast because you were too busy standing in line to see the corpse of the queen. <laughs> Was it art? <laughs> okay, I'm back. Take it from the top. Tell me again. Hey, I, I already got it because see, I can record both. I can record the <sighs> FaceTime signal to... as well. So okay. I was recording well, all of that. It's cool. Great. <laughs> That'll be the ender then. <laughs> All right. Good job. Till next week. Bye.